You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. If I haven't met you before, my name's Harrison Ford. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be with you right now. 772 billion dollars. Aside from that being my net worth, (laughs) that is about how much is spent every year on advertising globally, $772 billion. And if trends continue as projected, once we get to 2026, that number is going to crest $1 trillion. But there are a handful of companies who um, kind of buck the traditional marketing wisdom and spend $0 on advertising. One of the most prominent ones is Tesla. Which is pretty surprising, given the fact that, you know, prior, I'd say a decade ago, I would say that most of us in this room probably didn't know who Tesla was, and now Tesla is a household name. All was spending zero dollars on advertising. And, you know, the, the strategy behind this is um, a simple age-old premise. If people love your product, they're your best advertising. They're going to talk about it. Look, all the people you know who drive a Tesla, they've told you that. I promise I'm not looking at some people specifically. If someone loves your product, they're your best advertising. And if you need any proof of that, just go over to TikTok or Instagram, which I like to call QVC for millennials and uh, Gen Zers. It's basically just people, you're scrolling through people kind of touting their wares. And that's precisely why now we all have air fryers and scrub daddies and we're wearing Birkenstocks and uh, fanny packs. But talk about what they love. And actually Jesus talked about this himself. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever has captured our heart is going to make its way out through our mouth. The problem, though, is that oftentimes we don't let this extend to our love for Christ. We don't mind gushing about the latest restaurant that we're obsessed with to anyone within shouting distance. But when it comes to our faith, we tend to go a bit silent. And, you know, I get this. As I've told some of you before, um, I've probably told this story before, but when I was in the corporate world, I took the preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary approach. I thought, you know, I don't want to be too preachy, so I'm just going to let my actions speak on my behalf. The problem, though, is that I'm a sinner, which I know surprises y'all. And it turns out I'm a pretty good sinner at that, so my actions are often less than righteous. So what happened was when I told some of my coworkers, I said, hey, yeah, you know, here in a month, I'm actually going to quit and I, because I'm going to train to be a pastor. I'm going to seminary. One of my coworkers, coworkers looked at me and he said, I didn't even know that you were a Christian. That's great. 
So as it turns out, I probably could have used more words. And if I had paid attention to this passage that we're going to look at today, I would have known that. Because in this, Paul is going to tell us that the most essential part of the Christian mission is proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, yes, of course, that's always supposed to be joined to virtuous living and acts of mercy and justice and service. We've talked about this in previous weeks. But as I hope to uh, convince you this afternoon, we're sent out primarily to proclaim the gospel. And if we, uh, without words, without speaking, without proclaiming the gospel, we're actually not living fully into the mission that Christ has given us, his church. So if you would, please turn with me, uh, either in your worship guides or in your Bibles, to Romans 10. Romans 10, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Romans 10, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so this afternoon, I want us to just ask three simple questions about the idea of proclaiming the gospel. What, why, and how? What does it mean to proclaim the gospel? Why are we to proclaim the gospel? And then how do we do it? So let's start with the first question, what? Now, you've probably heard me using the word proclaim a lot, but if you actually look in the text, you're not going to see that word anywhere. And you might be thinking, Hmm, what, what's this, what's preacher man up to up there? Well, the reason I'm using the word proclaim here is because fundamentally that is what Paul is talking about whenever he uses the word preach. See, the word preach here comes from the Greek verb keruso, which means to announce something that's happened, to announce news. It was a word that was described, um, that would describe what a herald would do. So, you know, imagine we're back in the olden times. The king dies. His son, the prince, is about to ascend to the throne. The royal herald would go out in the town square, and he would announce to everyone listening the news that the king has died and that we have a new king, the former prince. The royal herald would go into the square and, using Paul's term, Caruso, proclaim. So when we're talking about being called to proclaim Christ, it implies us speaking about him in a distinct way. It's to announce to those around us the good news of what he, Jesus, has done. In Luke 8, uh, after Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, 
he tells the man, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And then the demon, formerly demon-possessed man does this. Luke says that he went away proclaiming, Caruso, throughout the whole city just how much Jesus had done for him. This is the very same commission that we share in. We're called to proclaim to the world around us what Jesus has done for us in Christ. Now, this may seem a bit pedantic, but I actually think it's important because one of the most common defeaters that keeps us from sharing our faith, I think, is that we just simply overcomplicate it. You know, we think we have to get really deep into apologetics and study up so that if someone asks us a question, we can be prepared to give an answer. Or maybe we think that we've got to have a certain level of uh, relational street cred with someone before we can bring up this kind of intimate topic such as our faith. And while neither of those are a bad thing, I think we need to remember that our fundamental calling here is to proclaim, to declare, to announce the gospel. It's a pretty straightforward, simple calling. It doesn't mean that you need to uh, be able to completely um, historically and philosophically explain uh, the Christian faith to someone. It doesn't mean that you need to be able to reconcile faith and science whenever you talk to them about Jesus. It doesn't mean that you need to be someone's best friend in order to proclaim the good news to them. We're just called to simply proclaim, to tell people how much God has done for us in Christ. And though that may sound intimidating to do, aren't there so many places in our life that we do this? Think about it. You get accepted into uh, your dream college. What do you do? You go on social media and you say, I'm so excited to announce that this fall I'll be attending dot, dot, dot. You finally get that job that you've worked so hard uh, to, to get. You go on to LinkedIn and you say, I'm so proud to announce that I'm going to be joining the team at dot, dot, dot. Think about it. You have a baby. You get the cards ready. They get sent out. We are so proud to announce that baby dot, dot, dot is joining our family. We naturally proclaim. We're natural evangelists. We do it all the time. And so the question then is, why don't we proclaim the gospel? Now, this brings me to my second point. (laughs) Why should we proclaim the gospel? Why are we called to proclaim the gospel? You know, and I mentioned this earlier, but if you've been around Christian circles uh, for any amount of time, you've probably heard this aphorism of preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. And the idea here is that actions speak louder than words, so we really need to focus in on those. And the reason why I think that this posture has taken such a hold within the Christian community, especially in the United States, is because Whenever we talk with people about Jesus, it's kind of easy to feel a bit hypocritical because the, um, whenever the church shows up in the news, it's always about abuse or a scandal or moral compromise. And so in order to kind of be a counterweight to all of that bad news, we think, well, I need to double down on doing good things that maybe 
can kind of balance that out. And again, that's not a bad thing. In previous weeks, we talked about uh, being a merciful person and working for justice. In the coming two weeks, we're going to talk about how to be uh, sent out in service. So these are good and necessary components of the church's Christian witness, but they can never be viewed as ends unto themselves. They always function as a means to the end of proclaiming the gospel. Why is that? Well, consider this uh, pretty tight logical chain that Paul has put before us in this passage. Put simply, it's this. Salvation comes through faith. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing comes from proclamation. Faith comes through hearing, or faith, or salvation comes through faith. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing comes through proclamation. So let's kind of break down each of those logical moves in turn. First, salvation comes through faith. As is the case in so many of his letters, Paul here is trying to convince the recipients that salvation isn't by works, it's by faith. And specifically here, he has in mind uh, adherence to the Old Testament law. Because you see, that was actually, if, if you're in our uh, Sunday formation, which con is continuing this week, by the way, after the service. Uh, if you're in our Sunday formation class on the Ten Commandments, you'd learn that's never, that was never the point of the law. It was never to save. It was always to point you to the coming Messiah. So rather, salvation isn't going to come through adherence to the law. It's going to come through faith that Jesus has fully fulfilled the demands of the law on your behalf. That's what Paul is talking about here. Faith, our salvation comes through faith in Christ. Then he makes a second logical move. He says that if salvation comes from faith, faith comes from hearing. You know, whenever we, uh, whenever we think about faith, we often think of it as this just kind of blind leap of faith. This kind of step off into the oblivion. It, kind of like in Indiana Jones. If you remember that movie, um, you, you know, what he's trying to do at, at, towards the end of the movie is he's trying to get to the Holy Grail. This sounds so ridiculous when you actually say it out loud. <laughs> um, uh, he's trying to get to the Holy Grail because his father had been shot by Nazis, and so he's trying to save him. He has a map that tells him where the Grail is. Eventually, the map brings him to this wide uh, kind of chasm, and the Grail is on the other side. And it says on the map that there's a bridge that goes across this, but he doesn't see one in front of him. So you see him, and he's kind of racking his brain about what to do, and he goes, ugh, it's a leap of faith. And then the camera cuts to his father, and he says, you must believe, boy. And then it cuts back to that actor that shan't be named. It cuts back to him. And you can see he, uh, he has this, this kind of, he, he goes deep within himself. And he kind, of, he kind of brings up from the pit of himself the courage to, to step off into faith, to take the leap of faith. That's how we often think about faith. But the Bible presents a very different way of thinking about faith. It presents, as one Christian philosopher put it, the idea of warranted belief. In other words, faith isn't something that we have to reach down within ourselves to conjure up. 
but rather faith is trust in a message that comes from outside of us. So, if in order to have to, so in order to have faith, we must be able to hear that message coming from outside of us so that we can put our trust in it. And what must we hear? Well, of course, you know this, it's the gospel. Or as Paul puts it in verse 17, we must hear the word about Christ. Since salvation isn't about, isn't about what we do, but rather about what Jesus does, it makes sense then that he should be the substance of our proclamation. Now again, this is one of the reasons I think proclamation is far easier than we tend to make it out to be. You see, we aren't proclaiming ourselves. We aren't proclaiming some particular strand of Christianity. We aren't proclaiming a particular set of habits and practices. No, we're proclaiming Jesus Christ. It's that simple. We proclaim him. And throughout the history of the church, the essence of this, which has been called the kerygma, the essence of this has remained remarkably consistent. And one of the places where we can find one of the best summaries of it is in the Apostles' Creed. It's one of the reasons we often recite the Apostles' Creed here together as a church body, to remind ourselves of the essentials of the Christian proclamation. And it's this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of, of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, throughout the history of the church, this has been the essence of what we proclaim, the essence of what we believe about Christ. And now, standing before us today is that same commission. Again, let's not overcomplicate it. This is all we have to proclaim. And I mean that in the sense of this is all we have to do, but also that is all that we have to proclaim. Why should we proclaim anything else? There's no better news than this. So this brings me to the final question. How do we proclaim this gospel? Now this is going to look, I, I don't want to give like hard and fast rules because this is going to look different for each of us. We're all in different circumstances. Um, we're all going to share the gospel differently to the people around us. But I do have four practical steps that I think can be pretty universally applied that will help us grow into this calling. The first is this. Come to church. And I'm preaching to the choir. Look, you've already done one of these. So good job. You, you made the first, the first leap of faith, I guess, as it were. Come to church. You see, throughout the sermon series, we've been talking about this principle that in order to um, give, we must first receive. That's the way Christianity works. In order to give, we give of what we've already received from Christ. And the same is true here. In order for us to proclaim Jesus, we first need to have him proclaimed to us. And this is where I actually want to return to this word kibruso. You see, when you interpret it, it can have either a broad meaning or a more narrow meaning. 
This afternoon we've been focusing on the more broad meaning, the sense that God has given all of us this commission to proclaim Christ. But throughout the New Testament, this word is also used in a more narrow, focused manner to talk about the call that exists upon ordained ministers to proclaim Christ to God's people during Lord's Day worship. What's happening right now? This is why sometimes, even in our text today, uh, translations render it preach, not proclaim. So as your pastor, one of my responsibilities and one of Eric's responsibilities is to proclaim the good news of Christ to you, Sunday in and Sunday out, so that your heart can be filled to the brim with the gospel. And that, as Jesus puts it, from the overflow of your heart would then come proclamation to the world around you of the gospel. So suggestion one, keep up what you're doing. Come to church. Give or receive so that you can give. Suggestion two, uh, encourage one another. So uh, this, a couple weeks ago, we were having city group leader training up here on the third floor. And we were talking about how our city groups can grow in being sent out. And one of the city group leaders, I think, made a really great point. He said, you know, it doesn't have to be that all of our groups are, ne- that our group is necessarily sent out together as one unit. But rather, a city group can be a place where we all come and encourage one another in the different avenues and ways that God has sent us each out individually. And I thought that that was a really wonderful uh, suggestion. And I think it actually applies to what we're talking about here today. Friends, what if we became a church that had a culture of encouraging each other to proclaim the gospel? So, as a step towards that, I actually want to give us a little homework for this week. I want you to find one other person. I want you to meet up with them. You can talk with them you know, via text or email, preferably in person. And I want you to get together with that person for the purpose of encouraging each other to proclaim the gospel. Encouraging each other to share the good news with the people around you. Maybe you could talk with each other about people that God has laid on your heart to share the gospel with. Maybe you can share with each other uh, the fears and kind of trepidations that you have about doing that. And you can encourage one another with the truth of the gospel, how God meets us in those fears through his Holy Spirit. And then you can spend time actually praying for these people. Praying that God would give you the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them and that the Holy Spirit would revive their hearts and allow them to answer the call of Christ with a resounding yes. So that's your homework this week. Find one person and encourage them and let them encourage you to proclaim the gospel. Step number three, trust the Holy Spirit. Uh, listen, if you're, if you're having a debate with someone, or if you're tr- a salesperson and you're trying to sell someone something, the outcome of that interaction depends kind of upon you. It depends on how you perform in that interaction. But proclaiming the gospel is entirely different. You see, when we proclaim the gospel, the efficacy of it doesn't rely upon what we do or say, but it relies upon what the Holy Spirit does with that. 
You see, a person can only come to faith, faith in Christ if their heart is regenerated, made alive by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that in sin, we are spiritually dead. We can never respond with a yes to Christ if we're spiritually dead. And so what that means is, if, if that's the case, but we're still trying to operate on the assumption that someone's going to come to Christ because of what I do or because of what I say, that's like us going to, going to the graveyard and starting to shout, all right, come alive, come out from the grave. You would be considered a madman. That, that would never work. But if we add the Holy Spirit to that equation... We know how it turns out. Jesus gives us a picture of it when, uh, with Lazarus. His friend Lazarus dies, and he calls, come out, and Lazarus does just that. If we're trusting and relying on the Holy Spirit to use our proclamation, then friends, it can make dead people alive. That's what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2. Through the Holy Spirit, we've been made alive in Christ through our union with him by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So friends, trust the Holy Spirit with your proclamation. Y'all, I know that sharing our faith, that proclaiming the gospel, it can be daunting. I'm, I'm a pastor, and I feel that. I know it can be scary. But we have to speak back to those fears by reminding us that God is with us always, even into the end of the age. Remember, that's how he, uh, that's how he ends the great commission that he gives his uh, disciples. And how is he with us? He's with us through the Holy Spirit. Now this brings me to the fourth step. And it's a really simple one. Just do it. So I was uh, reading recently, uh, someone was talking about the Nike slogan, just do it. And they said, you know, what's really genius about it is that for an athletic brand, even their slogan is about activity rather than passivity. Just do it. It's not about success. It's not about accomplishing. It's about trying. And so I think the same thing is true with us and evangelism. At the end of the day, y'all, we just have to do it. We have to put ourselves out there. We just have to proclaim what God has done for us in Christ. And we have to exercise an amount of faith that we're hoping to draw forth from these other people. Just do it. In closing, uh, friends, through the person and work of Jesus, God has proclaimed to me and to you such exceedingly good news. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve to die. He's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit so that we can be united to his Son and share in his divine fullness for eternity. What could be better news than that? So the question before all of us today is this. Christ has invited us to participate with him in sharing, proclaiming this good news. Will we do it? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in your Son, you've proclaimed to us the greatest news imaginable. 
that you've given us your love in Christ to enjoy forever. Father, we pray that today you would convince us even more of that good news, that you would, uh, that you would reawaken our imaginations to the goodness of that news so that it might capture our heart and come out of our mouths. Father, uh, proclaiming, proclaiming your Son is something that is often scary because we recognize how limited and how weak we are. But Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray that through him, you would help us to share with others what you have done for us in Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen.